We are, we are <clears throat> still uh, continuing in a new series that we started last week, uh, a series called Committed, Committed, and uh, we are, are, are working with a, a functional definition of committed as an adjective, and it says loyal and willing to give your time and energy to something that you believe in. Loyal and willing to give your time and energy to something that you believe in. Uh, this is our journey. Today we're going to be in the book of Luke, in the 14th chapter. The book of Luke in the 14th chapter. Um, and in that 14th chapter, I'll begin reading at the 25th verse. Luke chapter 14, begin reading, <clears throat> begin reading at verse 25. It says, now great crowds accompanied him, and, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not... <clears throat> While the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it, its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him hear. Father, we thank you now for uh, your word this time uh, that you've allowed us to gather. We pray that your presence would be felt in a powerful, Lord, and uh, incredible way. Uh, move, Lord, we pray in your sanctuary by your spirit. Um, in your word, we pray your grace be with all that hear and receive your word. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of opening it. I ask for fresh anointing to preach and anointing to receive your word, Lord. We pray, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you're my strength and you're my redeemer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> you know, when, I was, when I was called 
to pastor at, at my previous church in Philadelphia, I was extremely passionate about that ministry. Um, I realized that, that pastoring in the, con- in, in the context I was going into would be different from what I had been used to and would not, uh, not be an easy task, but I was willing to commit to it. Um, I remember during my interview, <clears throat> the director of the mission said something to me that I hadn't considered and, and that I never forgot. He told me that I could possibly lose my life serving in that ministry. It, it wasn't some metaphor about the hardship of serving. Uh, uh, it, it was an actual risk of the position that I was stepping into. Now, that, that wasn't your normal uh, pro- persuasive sales pitch. <laughs> um, it, it normally doesn't go like that. But, but I, I needed to know uh, the possible cost of what I was getting myself into, and he needed to know that I was committed. We find in the text today that, that Jesus doesn't offer any slick sales pitches. <laughs> Uh, for the role of disciple. He wants people to think about the cost of taking part in the life he's calling them to commit to and puts everything right up front. No small print with Jesus. The cost of commitment. Let's talk about the cost of commitment. Um, a disciple's usefulness to the kingdom is measured by the completeness of their commitment. Just as a background, this Gospel of Luke uh, is written. Luke, a, a, a Gentile physician, disciple of Christ, and a missionary companion of the Apostle Paul, he, he writes this Gospel to lay out in an orderly way the things he's learned from eyewitnesses about the words and work of Jesus Christ as Savior. Um, in this gospel, Jesus is often found reversing the accepted culture to reflect kingdom truth. Uh, Jesus came on the scene and things were one way, but he flipped them upside down and maybe right side up to reflect what the kingdom should be. In this 14th chapter, after shaking things up as a dinner guest in a religious leader's house, uh, if you want to have a nice, neat, calm dinner, don't invite Jesus to your dinner. You can read that later. Uh, but, but after that, after shaking things up at the house of this Pharisee, we find Jesus continuing on his journey to Jerusalem and the cross. Um, as the crowds gathered, he took the opportunity to clear up any misconceptions uh, that uh, they may have had about following him and let them know that disciples must pay the cost of commitment. They must pay the cost. He says, it says in verse 25, now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate <clears throat> his own father, And mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. While while most preachers 
will probably enjoy having a, a large a crowd like this. It seems like Jesus is purposely trying to thin out the crowd. He lays out what seems uh, like an unreasonably high level of commitment necessary to be his disciple, to follow him. Um, in this first of three conditions that Jesus gives for being his disciple, he lists the closest human relationships possible and then seems to call for their rejection or their hatred. Um, on the surface, this statement presents a problem because for Jesus to teach hatred would be contrary to the law, which teaches love and, and, and uh, also love of neighbor and also contrary to Jesus' own teaching about loving uh, even your own enemy. But part of the problem is then resolved when we recognize that this language of hate is used like a figure of speech to compare an extreme or surpassing love for one person or thing over another. In Genesis 29, verses 30 and 31, it's used to describe how much more Jacob loved Rachel than Leah. Uh, it, that's another story for another time. <laughs> there, there was a surpassing love. He didn't hate Leah. Uh, when you read it, you'll see, but it, it describes his, his more love for, for Rachel. Here, the loving commitment to Jesus was to be far above that of any other relationship. Even though the crowds might have recognized this as an exaggerated, uh, or, or, uh, hyperbolic kind of language, uh, what he was calling for would have still made a strong impact on their minds when they, when they heard it. Whatever learning relationships people had with their teachers in that day, Jesus begins to make it clear that he is calling for something radical and different. He goes on to give uh, two more conditions for being his disciple that also point to a radical and complete commitment to him. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. His disciple uh, is also to be a cross bearer, he says. If, if the crowd hadn't already started moving away, this one, this second condition for discipleship, uh, sounding even more extreme than the first, it probably started backing some of the crowd away. Um, it actually reveals if one loves Jesus more than any other human connections and even their own life. It gets to the core of where their love lies. The cross wasn't some shiny piece of jewelry to the crowd in this day. When they heard the cross, they would have been triggered in other ways. The cross was a traumatic symbol. Uh, it was an instrument of shameful death. It re represented a, sca a scandalous form of execution. Crucifixion wasn't to be talked about in polite company. It, it was so shameful that the Romans who sentenced people to death on the cross would not allow Roman citizens to be placed on it. 
To add insult to injury, when a, when a person was sentenced to death on the cross, they would often be led through town carrying the cross beam on the way to be crucified. Jesus says not only would his disciples need to bear a cross, they needed to recognize that there was one waiting with their name on it. There, there's an old uh, a hymn called... Uh, must Jesus bear the cross alone? Saints in the church where I, where I grew up, they would say a couple verses or sing a couple verses to open their prayers sometimes. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. The consecrated cross I bear till death shall set me free. Then Go home my crown to wear because there's a crown for me. The conviction of these lyrics is, is, is an acceptance of the conditions of discipleship that are given here by Jesus. And I, Now, as a boy growing up hearing that song, I, I was conflicted uh, 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 when, when I heard it uh, sung and prayed. Uh, I, I felt that the cross belonged to Jesus alone. And I didn't understand, but I later understood that uh, uh, concerning salvation, only his cross saves. But the living out of that salvation comes with a cross for the disciples. The song gives a picture of what Jesus was saying to this crowd. It is the committed disciples' attitude. I'm sure those, those listening in the crowd would have, would have liked to just dismiss what Jesus is saying as just a, a parable. He was known for those and maybe another metaphor about self-denial and, and the hardships of following Christ. But not long after this, it will be clear that Jesus himself was always headed to the cross as he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Uh, he would bear his own cross in front of their eyes. The disciple must be willing to completely abandon their life and take on shame, fear, sorrow, and death. Embracing God's will to follow him no matter what the cost, it's a total commitment. Uh, uh, once someone went to the cross, there was no returning until... Until Jesus, of course. But the cross was the, the giving up of everything. Some, some, some people hearing this, they may have emotionally agreed out of excitement of who Jesus was and what he was doing. Uh, it, I'll die for you, Jesus. I'll die for you. I, I, Peter made this outburst uh, as Jesus was about to take on his own cross. Uh, Peter claimed that he would go to prison and die for Jesus if he had to. But Jesus let him know that he would deny him three times before dawn even uh, cracked. Now, now, the thing about Peter is that he may have been ready to fight to the death for Jesus but he still wasn't ready to live a cross-bearing life for him, uh, completely surrendering his life, his will, and his ways to him. Do you see that? There's a, there's a difference. Notice that 
Jesus doesn't try to soften the conditions or, or pull any punches. Uh, he's firm in what the role calls for and lets them know whoever does not meet the conditions cannot be his disciple. Now, before sharing that the last condition, Jesus gives two illustrations uh, for them to consider. He says, for which of you des desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You know, in this time, the towers were built for security uh, in city walls and in vineyards, and, and uh, uh, they, were, they were a costly endeavor, a costly job, um, like, like adding an addition to your house. Uh, who, who would wake up one morning and decide to add another story to their, house, to their home and, and not check their bank account and, and get estimates for the work? Who, who would do that? Um, Jesus reminds them also here that there will always be people watching to see how the project turns out. Uh, if, if, if they see a half-finished job, they'll say, you didn't have what it takes to complete it. The, the, the rumor mill will start. The gossip, <laughs> a half-finished project. Uh, and in, a, in an honor and shame culture, like this culture, this would have been an embarrassing spot on a whole family, an unfinished project. Uh, look, at this, look at this picture. Um, look at this picture. You might recognize what, what type of building that is. Uh, now, this building, it looks complete. But something wrong happened here. <laughs> something wrong happened here. Uh, from, from about 1977 to 2013, this was the church home of a large Christian congregation in the city of Philadelphia. Now, <clears throat> whether the reasons were, were financial or, 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 or not, it, it's not known to the public. Uh, there was talk because there's always people watching, but it was sold off, and now it stands not only as a mosque, but as a visual, painful, sad reminder of a, of a church that's no longer building and no longer at work in that community. So, so, so as people ride by, they're just reminded again and again that Something, something didn't, uh, uh, something wasn't completed in that place. But Jesus wants those who, who will be his disciple to consider what it takes to build. Don't, don't make a hasty decision and, and have to turn back, leaving the work undone. He told a, a would-be follower of his in <clears throat> chapter 9 and verse 62 that no one who puts his hand to the gospel plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Verse 31, the, the second part of his illustration, he says, oh, what, what king 
going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Who goes to war without considering the strength of their military and the strength of the military that they're facing? A wise king would, would consider the losses they could face if they are at a disadvantage. He, he would choose diplomacy over war if the odds were stacked against him. He would seek to bring the conflict to an end before it gets started. Uh, uh, Jesus gives these illustrations without much explanation. They, they would have been common sense to the to the people listening. Who, who decides I'm, I'm going to get in the ring and fight Mike Tyson? Without training, without... Who does that? It's, it's, it's common sense to carefully consider a thing that will consume your resources, require your total commitment, and, and possibly even call <clears throat> for you uh, uh, to, to put your very life at risk. But still, because of emotionalism and, and, and excitement, to avoid short-sighted and thoughtless decisions, he reminds them to count the cost. Jesus wants us uh, when it comes to following him, to be engaged with our intellect, our emotions, and our wills. Don't miss the fact that the two illustrations Jesus uses here for, for, for the crowd to consider involve both building and a battle. You know, these represent much of the Christian life. And although there's rest and joy in that life, disciples aren't called to a life of leisure. Uh, Jesus is making it plain. Uh, I don't know who's signing up for this. And he, he says here, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He gives the third condition. This last condition Jesus gives, it could seem redundant after the hating of family and the carrying of the cross, but it reinforces the main point of what Jesus is describing. <clears throat> Again, this seems to be more than just some, some figure of speech. It was the real posture that a disciple was to take if they were to come after Jesus. Jesus once checked the heart of a rich young ruler. Uh, he, he seemed to be morally good and all right. He could check off all the lists. Of, of good things. He went to church every Sunday and Sunday school. Uh, this guy was good, but when Jesus told him that he still lacks something that he needs, um, Jesus let him know that he needed to sell all that he had, give it to the poor, and to come follow him. The man became sad, and he turned away. The cost was too much for him. He thought about it. He calculated it. And the cost was too much for him. He dropped his head and he walked away. And, and then in, in Mark 10 and 28, we hear Peter saying to Jesus that, that they, the, the disciples, had left everything to follow him. 
uh, but, but it was more than, than letting go of, of resources. Many of them had walked away from businesses, family, friends, at the call of Jesus saying, follow me. They had left their old dreams and, and the future plans that they once made. They were willing to say goodbye to all of those things to follow him. Jesus was calling for commitment without reservation. What, what things are we still trying to hold on to as we follow Jesus? Is, is, it, is it prestige or position? Uh, is, it, is it money or, or self-directed ambition? Is it something that culture says you should have when Jesus says you shouldn't? What things are we... If we don't have hearts that hold all earthly things loosely, ready to release them, then we become faces in that crowd of people going along with Jesus, but never arriving at the place that he's calling us to. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And at first these verses seem that they, like they just randomly tacked on to the end of the chapter, but they, they actually just give a closing image of what Jesus is saying. He isn't refusing to allow people to follow him as disciples. He's warning them of, of, of the things that will disqualify them or make them useless. Disciples are called to be salt. A, a disciple with competing affections and wavering commitment can't <clears throat> serve his kingdom purposes. Salt was, you know, valuable for many things from from flavor to preservation of, uh, of foods, but the impure, bitter salt sometimes found in that region that, that was mixed with other minerals wasn't useful even for fertilizer, Jesus says. Those not willing to be radically committed to Jesus become useless. Their witness and work for the kingdom will be ineffective they're no good for building or for battle. With ears to hear, consider what this means for your life. If you have ears to hear, Jesus calls you to hear and consider what this means for your life. If we sum up what Jesus is saying, we find instead of three separate conditions, the disciple was actually called to one, the total commitment of living for Jesus no matter the cost. In, in the Christian culture of our country, it, it seems that Jesus is asking for more than most understand or are willing to be. To let themselves off the hook, some even try to, to make distinctions between the word Christian and disciple or between those cultures, 
and times back then and present culture and times today. But just to be clear, the disciple is not some special branch of the Christian faith. Disciples aren't the Navy SEALs of the faith. All Christians, all believers, all followers of Christ in all cultures throughout all times are called to be disciples, abandon the self-life, and to have this total commitment to Jesus. Jesus didn't say, all power in heaven and earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make Christians of every nation. Hear me. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples. And he makes plain here that it's a commitment that cost. So now what? <laughs> has, has your commitment to Jesus cost you anything? Has it, has it cost you friends or family or, or resources? Has it cost you sleep? Has it cost you self-confrontation? Um, has it cost you a, <clears throat> a challenge to long-held convictions? Has it caused you to, to, to put down some culture inspired aspirations? Is it costing you something right now? Are you willing to move forward with Christ accepting the cost of commitment? Jesus says if we will not, we cannot be his disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Um, your word is truth your word is spirit your word is life it's a light uh, a lamp to our feet and a light into our path we pray Lord that we would now all have ears to hear Lord and we would consider Lord the cost of commitment Father that we've made to be disciples, uh, renewing us the, 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 the radical fire of discipleship. Uh, help us, Lord, to, to remove those things that would be impurities that would impact our saltiness. Strengthen, lead, guide, encourage and bless us, Lord, as we follow your calling, Lord, to complete commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.